Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between food production and food consumption. Here we are, another Monday. That means that Hank Vogler checks in from North Spring Valley, Nevada. How's Hank? Jumping high and feeling good, just like a spring colt. All right, Ellie. Good to know. I was trying to come up with some clever comeback, but I couldn't do it. Oh, well, we're having the winter of uh, of no return or something. <laughs> we are having no winter. I mean, I'm astonished. It's almost the 1st of February, and we haven't had five days below zero all winter. I mean, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> it's just Hey, I think we're on our, our fifth day above zero in the month of January. Well, I've, that was what I was going to bring up, or kind of a nanner, nanner, nanner. It's usually yeah. the other way around. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this global warming, I'm I'm starting to plant banana trees and, and pineapple. I thought of Al Gore was right, and I'm on his side, by yelling. So. <laughs> I don't care about the bananas, but if I could plant the coffee tree, that would be just fine. Well, we'll probably put in some of that, too. The boys in the bunkhouse already mentioned that. Okay, this is right up Hank Vogler's alley, and I have not went back and studied all of the details. I've read some of the preliminary reports. But there's a new movement that happens. It looks like it's happening globally where there are some people that think that there's an advantage, a, a direct benefit to the biochar. And the biochar is the results of the cinders and the ash from wood that has been burned. And that somehow, Hank, that is beneficial to soil health. In fact, they go so far as to say that when you burn light fuels on the ground and you alleviate all of that old growth, you have a black soil that is exposed to the sun. It's not shaded by that old growth. And... You have a warmer soil temperature, which leads to a greater growth of diversity in plants. Any of this sound familiar to you? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, I've been several things that I are my pet peeves. In fact, I, there's a, such a pile of them that I can't even get the door closed anymore. <laughs> One of them was is the NEPA process, National Environmental Policy Act. We've had several organizations that have come here and spoken about biochar right here in downtown River City. Really? Uh, because of the opinion and juniper encroachment on some of the better soils in the country. And, of course, all the bottoms of the valley, if you go dig around, they're black. They're full of organic matter, all from previous fires in the last 100,000 years. You bet. That and volcanic ash is about all that's there. And uh, huge flows of rock and gravel during these intermittent areas of fire and then drought and then rain, et cetera, et cetera. But they never get it done because uh, the bureaucracy, you know, if you're going to do something, uh, you've got a time frame. You've got bankers, you've got investors, you've got all kinds of things you want to do, you know. So replicating 
what Mother Nature did before we invented the fire department. Uh, yeah, uh, there's some merit in it. Now, if it turns into another government program like electric cars and like other things like that, well, doggone it. Uh, it'll just be another bottomless pit uh, soaking up money. Well, I said this on Loose Tales today because it's kind of embarrassing, but I've been a longtime advocate, and you're a graduate of the land-grant system, and that was goes back to 1862 and Justin Morrill and the Morrill Act where we established a agricultural teaching system. Abraham Lincoln called it the People's Department, and it's about teaching, research, and extension. And you know what we've determined in 200 years of doing that, Hank, is that well, the Indians were right because they were using fire as a tool to manage buffalo herds, to increase plant growth and diversity, to uh, eliminate the, the camouflage from uh, oncoming warring tribes. What, what are we wasting all of our taxpayer money for if we could just go back and study the American Indians' survival on the plains right up until we came with the bullet? Uh, maybe we'd be better off in land management. Well... Uh, you know, you can always point after the fact uh, what is happening, but when people with an agenda refuse to even give you an audience before it's too late, uh, you know, all you can, I guess, get the satisfaction out of it is telling people you were right. Now, uh, the Taylor Grazing Act, one of my most favoriteest in the world, uh, the further west we went, the harder it was to uh, bet some person 160 acres uh, that they'd starve to death. Well, it got bigger and bigger. They had all sorts of homestead acts or, or grazing homesteads where you could get a section, swamp act where you could get a section, bigger parcels because it took more land, desert land entries. All of these things were designed to get county, state, and federal revenue from taxes and settling the West. Well, then it went to the land office and then people took swipes at it and uh, Grover Cleveland's cousin or brother, whatever he was, he wound up with all deeded land right here in Whitebond County. Uh, imagine that. Uh, just things like that. But they've tried to blame because they were competing for the same grass. The, bad winters of the late 1800s wiped out a lot of cattle outfits that were outside grazers. It was, it happened in the Midwest too. Uh, Charlie Russell's famous painting of the last of the 5,000. It was a, a different dynamic, but they wanted to blame everything on the sheep guy because the sheep guy, he could get out and, and uh, consume plants that the cows didn't prefer, uh, do lots of things. But one thing that was in common they couldn't haul water. They couldn't have enough horses hooked up to a wagon every day to haul water to the sheep. So the sheep had to follow the snow. So they were halfway up the mountains. On a year like this, they'd practically be on top of the mountains. So they avoided the bottoms, the white sage flats, only when they had snow. They hooked up to teams in the middle of the night if it snowed and went to the flat. Well, now you look around in this county and all these upper benches are all contributing zero to the aquifers and the aquifers all over the state are just basically drying up for, and there's mine dewatering. There's other things. 
So we did not balance what was here. The buffalo, the different species of animals that were here before white Europeans showed up, uh, lived in different areas and consumed different plant forage and, and defecated. And then it became fertilizer and there was a cycle. And yeah, the Native Americans figured it out. If you got a bunch of buffalo and you want to get them crowded up into a corner where you can shoot them, I think there's a couple of places back in Colorado they call the buffalo jumps, where they push just a few too many over the hill, kill the pile of them. So uh, things I, like I can that, take yeah. you to one within 60 miles of my house, Hank, at Fullerton, Nebraska. Okay. Yeah. And and don't uh, give Colorado all the credit. You know, is my point. Pretty... Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, it's a. I, I know it. I know it happened. Uh, uh, they ran them off of the cliff, and and it uh, it was a little more than they anticipated. So they lived pretty large for a while, but the population of the buffalo and of the human species that was here was pretty well controlled by the weather and the number of the population. Modern agriculture made for a more stable society. But it wasn't perfect. So if we want to go back to hunter-gatherers, uh, there's still a few seats open in my class on uh, how to teach your wife to chew hides. So, yeah. <laughs> Is that a class of two? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I mean, need to, I, I, th this would be a great week for me to go back and do a pictorial little video about the winter of 1888, because you called it the Midwest, but it's actually the Great Plains of America. The Midwest stops at the Missouri River. We are in the Great Plains of America. We don't want to claim the Midwest. And Montana, through your country, was the heart of that 1888, 1889 blizzard like no other. There were school children dying in Nebraska because they were stranded due to these massive storms. You've inspired me to go do that historical perspective this week. Hank Wilger, Trent Lewis, more roll out after this. Let's talk about healthy living. If we really want to talk about healthy living, then we're going to stay with nitric oxide as part of our daily regimen. Dr. Nathan Bryan has all of the details about how anybody could overlook the importance of nitrate does not make any sense whatsoever. Nitrate needs to be present in your body for your cardiovascular system, for your brain, for all vital organs. You need nitric oxide. Find the details and the science behind what Dr. Nathan Bryan is talking about at no2u.com. No, number two, letter u.com. Trent is your coupon code. Welcome back. Rural route, Trent Loose, alongside. Hank Vogler, the schoolhouse blizzard, also known as the school children's blizzard of 18, January 12th, 1888, with a estimated deaths of 235. One of the most deadly, wow. uh, 10, the world's 10th most deadly winter storms on record. January 12th, 1888. Well, and as far as the prairie, the, the West, uh, the Great Plains, whatever you want to call it, and everywhere, there's history that on the East Coast, the natives used to ring the trees, <clears throat> let them die, 
and then plant corn. Uh, there was fire everywhere. Uh, there was no fire department. So whether it was an accident, a lightning storm, or, or a controlled burn, it happened. And all of these things were all part of the history of what was here. The pioneers that went across the prairies burned buffalo chips. There was no wood. Well, there's wood now. Uh, the In their diaries, they wrote they always knew where the buffalo were. There, there was nothing to eat for their livestock. Uh, all of these things were changes, good, bad, or indifferent, but that's the way it was. Biochar and those kind of ideas is just trying to replicate fire without fire in a way uh, and putting it back on the ground. Yep, because that's what Mother Nature was doing for a gazillion years. And having hot season fires in the summertime are, are kind of devastating. They, they move a lot of earth. Uh, a lot of dirt, uh, uh, and it takes uh, a long time to regenerate what's washed down the hill. But the alluvial fans, which I assume between the glaciers and the fires and the runoff from the Rocky Mountains, that uh, the plains of Nebraska, that soil at one time was somewhere on top of the Rocky Mountains or some other location. Right, that washed down after high water and floods and fire, all part of Mother Nature's. Yeah, it's just pretty complex if you start thinking about it. And then you have these, I, I would imagine most of these people who are promoting this on a regular basis have no idea what my, Mother Nature is really like, nor do they care. They're simply promoting an agenda and use a winter storm to make people scared to death that the end is near. I'm not saying the end's not near. It's not tied to this winter storm. No. And, well, and one of the things that kind of tips them all over is the invention of the camera. The camera. There was a gentleman, I read about it a long, long time ago. He got a government grant to follow the, uh, I guess, George Armstrong Custer. Uh, he wore arrow shirts, you know. Uh, he <laughs> was going to run for president or was, you know, quite proud of himself. He had his uh, uh, camera crew that stayed with him. And this guy found these prints in the Smithsonian Institute in the back closet or whatever. Got a government grant to retrace the steps of where George Armstrong Custer was at. And he had a terrible time because... Uh, when he got to the different areas, it, it was tree covered. There, the pine trees had marched off the mountains. All kinds of things had changed. And basically, because there was no, the regimen of fire was taken out of the equation. So, yeah, uh, <clears throat> they took pictures of Indian encampments. And everything was just bare all the way around them. Now, maybe that was purposely done because once... Cristobal Colon, well, he never got to the United States, but once they started bringing horses in the United States, uh, I'm sure the first one, uh, the natives ate it. But after that, they figured, hey, this thing can haul groceries. It can do lots of things. So they be, in fact, uh, Custer said they were the finest cavalry he had ever seen. So they had a tool brought in, steel, axes, shovels, picks, whatever, but they also absolutely either 
on today's standard were overgrazing around where they had their villages right. or they did that to prevent to keep fire away or whatever but those early pictures everything was just bare so uh there there had to be a replenishment or there or what would survive was the things that were less palatable by the buffalo or by the horses or whatever and by fire and brush huh and by fire yeah right so, so again yeah that metamorphosis changed but okay so now we can blame all the white europeans well how come the mayans built such huge monstrosities of of pyramids basically all over central and south america and mexico and they i think they about all died out before mm -hmm. uh, the uh, spanish showed up uh, there's been ebb and flow from day one of people. So, so I don't know the answer to that question. What did eliminate the Mayans? Because we were told, we're led to believe, and I, I don't doubt it, that they're the smartest people, smartest society that ever existed, and yet they didn't survive. Did they self-desecrate like everybody else? Well... Maybe overpopulation. Maybe they had some dry years. Uh, in my lifetime, I never ever heard of the Panama Canal having to restrict the number of boxes you could stack on a ship to go through it because they're in a drought. So if that was extended for 100 years or whatever, and your population was flourishing because you'd obviously adapted to agriculture, uh, you know, if you build a city, uh, you build it on the back of agriculture you know surplus agriculture production is is, is the creation of all uh societies of everything because if you're a hunter gatherer uh about this time of day your belly'd be growling and uh you'd be you know heading out the tent to set on a, a hillside somewhere or start hunting rats rabbits anything you could get to eat because that was the difference the population of your group was totally determined on your ability to hunt and gather stuff to keep from starving to death and surviving bad winters but where we had permanent agriculture and the mayans did uh we had and we had that in in uh, different areas that, that populations flourished is all based on agriculture agriculture is the roots of all civilization and and yeah maybe they overpopulated had some dry years or something like that uh hit some diseases like the the when they brought the potato from the americas and took it back to europe that was a a, a carbohydrate and in in the, the population flourished on them and they were uh disease free well then pretty quick they got the blight and people didn't do so well i mean just all those kind yeah, of yeah but is the ebb and flow of civilization that's a great case in point because that's the exact story i learned in school until I went to Dublin. And when I was in Ireland, I learned that, yes, one million people did perish from starvation. One million people left Ireland. But the cause of starvation was not the blight on the potato. The cause of starvation was that the government continued to export food looking for the benefit of the tariff and the, the revenue of what they were exporting instead of feeding their own people. It was government intervention that led to the demise, which I'm assuming happened at the Mayans as well, but we don't have any data on that. There, 
it very well could have been. And, and uh, well, uh, the Ukrainians thought that they were going to be entered if they would help with the Soviet Union or with uh, uh, fight, uh, fight against the army, and, uh, the Blue Army or whatever they called the people that worked for the Tsar, that they would be kind of an equal footing uh, portion of the, of the Union. And Stalin went in and took all their food away from them, sold it on the open market to uh, tell everybody how great communism was. And, and, and Ukrainians and people all over that lower end of the country, uh, they starved them to death, too. You bet. Yeah. 60 million, Government I say. Government intervention catches up. You bet. Halftime. Roll route. Hank Vogler, we're back with more after this. Let's talk about Apache technology when it comes to sprayers. Any farmer who's utilized the Apache system, they know that this is the cream of the crop. But more importantly, they know when there needs to be service, which all machines have to have service at some point in time, somebody that you can call, somebody that you know that's going to take care of it. That's exactly what Simpson Farm Enterprises and High Plains Apache do, partnering up here throughout the entire Great Plains. Now, I want to tell you about two meetings coming up, February 13th and 14th. That's not that far away. February the 13th, Simpson Farm at Great Bend, Kansas. February the 14th, Valentine's Day, Ransom, Kansas. Brian Thompson, Chuck Box aficionado, he'll be there cooking. More importantly, you learn about the ins, the outs, and what the Apache sprayer will do. SimpsonFarm.com, HighPlainsApache.com. Choose reliability and service. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Lewis alongside... Hank Vogler checking in from White Pine County, Nevada, who is thinking about his fourth career in life, and that being a professional government grant writer. <laughs> I I have been trying to get an area management plan, a comprehensive grazing program, uh, something that I can lean on and say, well, we already covered this ground. And I've only spent the last 35 years, I've been writing letters, and I don't even get a response. So, yeah, I want, that's, that's my life story, is I want to do that. <laughs> well, you kind of but been again, a grant writer, applying for all these H-2A permits. Well, yeah, in a way, yeah, well. And boy, is that ever fun, now, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. You know, if we're not going to, if the American people are not going to work, Somebody needs to do the entry-level jobs, doesn't make them citizens, doesn't allow them to vote, and let them go back to their country and come back or whatever, six-month basis. But get the bureaucracy out of it because we've just drugged this thing absolutely in the ground to where it's easier to go to El Paso and with a with a school bus and load it up. Is to well, you don't need to. The the They'll load up a, a charter bus and bring them to you. There you go. I mean, yeah, they, they've, they've simplified the program. But back on your biochar and all this, you know, it's no different than the Amish and other people using the manure out of the dairy barns and out of the feedlots, putting it back on their cornfield to replenish the soil. I mean, it's uh, 
it's it's only been going on for a gazillion and a quarter years. I mean, you think it's only the Amish that do that? It, right? Well, not just the Amish, but a lot of people. <laughs> do that. But wasn't there? There was a movement there for a while. They didn't want to put it back on uh, crops because somehow it was going to make the crops, uh, you know, less consumable by humans or something. There's a there's always a negative. Somebody always points out something negative, but if you really want to get to the root of all of these civilizations from day one, just look under the bottom line just a little tiny bit. Now, if you move out onto the prairie in Nebraska in 1810 <laughs> or whatever. 1810. What year was that? <laughs> <laughs> that was just before 1809. <laughs> but anyhow, you move out onto that prairie. And there's no fences. There's no trees. trees. There's grass. No trees. But you build yourself a sod house or whatever, or a rock house, if you can find a rock. And you start running cattle. And pretty quick, you're hauling cattle into Missouri and other places. And pretty quick, you're living pretty large. And then they come out with a Homestead Act. And these people come out there with barbed wire and started taking your ground away from you well all societies even right now we're facing the same thing now we got to deal with israel and the palestinians well okay at first blush we have the muslims against the christians or the jewish well in the crusades didn't the crusades last a couple hundred years and and they were trying to retake Jerusalem back from the Arabs, the Muslims. Well, now we got Pakistan is shooting at Iran. Iran is giving stuff to the Houthis to shoot at us. All of these things have to do with power. But at the end of the day, it's overpopulation. Now, what would be the best way to destroy the United States and limit its population? Food. Quit restrict raising food. livestock. Yeah. Restrict food. Right. So, yeah, just like the Soviets did to the Ukrainians, just like the English did to the Irishmen. I mean, go back in history, whether it was man-made drought or a drought when the population got too thick, there were enemies, there were wars, they were fighting over basically property to produce food, whatever it was. But it boils down to that survival. And we're doing it right now. Uh, that, that lady that started that, uh, uh, the abortion clinics, she wanted to get rid of the black people by poor Plan, people were getting Planned more Parenthood. Abortion. Yeah, Planned Parenthood. All, all of these things have to do with, I'm the boss, you're not, and so I'm going to clean you off of the slate. And how is the best way to do that? Well, it's called genocide. Mm -hmm. And genocide's been going on in every civilization. Uh, uh, the Mayans, I, didn't they sacrifice virgins? And didn't they uh, play soccer with uh, people's heads? And, and they're a pretty bloody culture. Well, people probably got a gut full of it after a while and and started fighting against them. And, and you know, when the when they got to America from Europe, was there one big tribe all holding hands, singing no. Kumbaya? No. Hundreds. Thousands of them. 
So it's yeah. the same thing. When when you are the guy that's in charge, you want to stay in charge. It's no different than a politician stuffing a ballot box. You know, we've we've done it a bazillion times over the years, trying to stay in power and in control. We're talking human nature. That's the one thing that this country had a, the greatest chance of all, and maybe still does. The union of all the states, you could even call them the tribes, that union gave us strength. That gave us strength to be a world power. But the states, the individual rights of the individual, the republic gave the freedom to the people. Well, now it's the union. Washington desires cash. They want to control the power. They do not want to be voted out of office, taken out of office, whether they're a bureaucrat or who they are. And so now the internal strife has is, is out there. Now, whether it devolves into a mess, who knows? But it's a mess right now. Uh, the two tiers of justice is just everywhere. Uh, you know, I mean, laws can be ignored, whether it's at the border or allowing a water company from Las Vegas to, to run livestock illegally and the BLM looks the other way or, or no matter what or uh, shutting down a pipeline, all of these things are for control. Control, control, control. And now that there's only one half of the percent of the population feeding the rest of it in this country, plus exporting billions of dollars worth of product overseas, there is where they want to get the handle on it. You know, so that's you and me. I recognize that most people who are not familiar with Nevada, Las Vegas, Southern Nevada Water Authority, the ranches in White Pine County, Lyons County, Elko County, it doesn't mean anything to them. But it's time, Hank, I think, to really magnify what the Southern Nevada Water Authority is doing in violation of the law and being precipitated by this public-public-private partnership with the government. It is blatantly illegal for them to do what they are doing. Why are they allowed to continue to do it? And I think it's time we just take that to the next level of magnification. Well, uh, they have the political capital to do it. The same way with right now out here. I just wrote an article for the newspaper. Uh, just gave my approval of it about 30 minutes before we started the program. We have got the whole in the wall gang, I call them, that want to do the pump storage. Uh, there's another outfit that wants to put in solar panels all the way around the airport. There's another outfit that wants 70,000 acres uh, to uh, put up windmills. Uh, they're now tearing a set of windmills out of the Osage country in Oklahoma. It's only going to cost them three and a half million dollars per power to remove. Uh, you've brought out the one in Bend, Oregon. Uh, it's not working. They're hauling the blades off. I mean, all of these things. Now, uh, California Technical Institute, uh, Caltech wants to put in 60,000 acres of these. They kind of look like big satellite dishes to 
listen to the outer space, I guess, for for aliens. But trust me, aliens are not going to come here. I mean, they, they fly by and go, no, there's no intelligent life down there. Let's move on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so uh, all of these things. And there's just absolutely a, a stampede to get it done. Well, a few years ago, Jimmy Carter was going to put racetracks in all these valleys out here with a nuclear weapon on them. And that train was going to move underground in a different position all the time so the Soviets couldn't find it. Well, how valuable would a life in White Pine County be to somebody living here if that would have come to fruition? And the right. Soviets would have, would have lost, they would have tried to get the nuclear warhead. <laughs> it wouldn't have been very good for the people living. I mean, just all these kind of things. But now there's this huge push to get all this stuff done. And boy, it's like the circus coming to town. There'll be more money floating around Ely, Nevada. There'll be new businesses popping up, houses and everything. All these kind of things. I, I don't know what the answer is. But I do know that going to Washington, D.C. with a, a biochar project, with a drilling a hole in the top of a mountain, uh, drying up an aquifer that's already in negative recharge. Uh, all of these things. Uh, it's if you're on the inside, if you got the if you got the power, uh, you get it. You get whatever you want, and everybody else can go stick it. And and that was basically what America was founded on: religious freedom. Come here. And you can do as you want, you know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, those kind of things. But that went back to the Old Testament. That had nothing to do. But it wasn't to have an overbearing government taking things away from you. And that's what that's what we've evolved into. And I'm not so sure that most societies don't do that. And they mm -hmm. get detractors. And once the detractors get a chance, they attack. And that's why every society fails after 200 years or so. Where are we at? Back with more or all right after this. Let's talk about Greg Hager music. Greg Hager truly is in it because his heart and soul is about improving lives. And we do that through remaining rooted in our Christian values, in our country values, and taking care of everything God has blessed us with. He brings that to life in his music. Go to the website greghager.com. Check out Cowboy Way, State of Mind. Ain't God great. You decide where you want to go. I think there's 11. I should go count exactly, but I believe there's 11 albums there. Greghager.com. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis, Hank Vogler into the... Final segment. Uh, I want to back up a couple steps. Did you say you have a proposed pump station in White Pine County? Uh, between McGill and Ely. Uh, all those houses down there in the bottom of the valley in those circles. I asked the guy. I said, okay, are we going to honor state law? Oh, no, we have federal, federal law. And I said, no, you don't. This water in Stepto Valley does not run interstate. This is Great Basin water. This goes to the water engineer in Carson City and no further. It's already been proven with Hammond versus the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in the Great Basin of Eastern Oregon. It went to the Ninth Circuit Court. 
I know I testified in that trial and, and it's my fault. Hammond got in all the trouble he did because yeah, he beat the U S fish and wildlife service out of that water. So I said, you, you, you have, are you going to, you're the, it's first in time, first in right. You're the new kid on the block. If you start drilling those wells to fill up your reservoir and those wells out there in the bottom of that Valley go dry. Are you going to shut your pub station down? Oh, no, we got you do not have federal water rights, sir. I promise you, you do not. And he just shut up. So, <laughs> well, yeah, the pump, the pump station that I'm familiar with was proposed at Gregory, South Dakota, and we got that shut down for now. But that's on the Missouri River. And their proposed idea, Hank, was to pump water out of the Missouri River up into a 4,000 acre basin. And that's during off-peak hours. And then during peak hours, drop the water back through a water wheel to capture the energy, which, by the way, is a net zero energy benefit, but it's another government program where they can confiscate land and, and pay people to do what they want. And then have that that energy available in the on-peak hours. Is that similar to what they're talking about there? You got it, mister. And if the... And if the I have solar panels right up here on a well above the house. And if the sun doesn't shine real sharp, if it's a cloudy day, it doesn't right. pump that much water. And if a windmill, if they get in a place where they don't have a bunch of wind that day, so they're going to have to use fossil fuels just mm -hmm. to keep the system going. And the energy is going to go to the other side of the state or Las Vegas or Los Angeles. It's not going to go to White Pine County. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that had pelting wheels in the different little creeks around here that operated uh, their electricity. Now, maybe it didn't produce all that much electricity, but it's more than they had prior to the pelting wheel. So things like that. But, yeah, it's it's a it's ridiculous. We get stuck with it. But the people that are already here, if their wells all go dry, these guys have the big hammer, just like SNWA. SNWA has no business running livestock. But BNs, the, the BLM was derelict in completing the program when I bought those AUMs. They've never given me my AUMs. And then I the, the BLM, the, the rank and file, they let me go in there all those years. Because, they you know, they were mad because they knew SNWA was violating the rules and regulations. So they let me go in there. Well, then they get them a brand new guy comes in here to be the bully. I was in there in November. Now it's March. We're getting ready to shear. We're getting ready to lamb. And I get a $28,000. Well, I get, no, I got a $19,000 trespass, willful trespass. I wrote my reasons why I shouldn't have it, tried to mail the check-in, and they said, don't do that. That's an admission of guilt. I should have got that in writing. A few days later, when we're in the middle of lambing, can't move the sheep, can't do anything. One band was already gone. We had a hell of a die-off because of a bad storm. They didn't take those off. I mean, everything they did was just as blatantly in your face. We're going to destroy your family. We're going to take your ranch away from you because we can do it. And crickets, crickets all the way to the state office. They won't even answer my letters. I, I, I send them all a, a carbon copy of the email that I send to the locals. Not one person has sent me back one thing. So who who's right or who's wrong there? I want a compromise. They could have settled this in 2004, 
2005, 2006. SNWA didn't come along till 2007. So from 2007 till today, put me off, put me off, put me off, put me off. Now it's my 10-year permit renewal. I question them about a 10-year permit renewal. Of course, it's been 35 years. I've never had one. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, wow. Welcome to America, comrade. <laughs> okay. We do need to share a little victory, though, in, in all of this. Uh, for most people that follow this program know that the Security Exchange Commission was talking about trading on the New York Stock Exchange natural asset companies and what that means yeah. is if you ever signed a conservation easement if you ever had uh what the reason that hank was fighting a wind turbine here solar panel there is that they're going to trade these assets these environmental assets on the new york stock exchange well last wednesday while i was at the northeast north excuse me northwest landowners association meeting and Karen Bud Fallon was speaking, our mutual friend. And Frank was there, by the way. Got to see Frank and spend some time with Frank. But anyway, which caused me to reminisce about how great of a human being John Fallon was. I regress. The National Asset Companies was on the comment period through January the 18th. Karen Bud Fallon is speaking on January 17th, last Wednesday, talking about you must do your comments today while she's speaking. I don't think that it, I think that's merely a coincidence, Hank, truly do, but the Securities Exchange Commission announced on their website that they are rescinding this proposal. So, we celebrate small victories when we get them because they don't come that often. It is at least a reprieve that they're going to start trading your environmental assets and mine, quite frankly, on the New York Stock Exchange so that somebody in some other country can own the ability to tell us what to do with our own property. Isn't that the same thing with the carbon credits and all that crap it is. like that? It is the same exact thing. Yeah. Who, who needs a carbon credit? The 1% that are carbon emitters. Carbon dioxide. It's Spotted important. Al Gore, John yeah. Kerry, they got to get around, you know? They got to save the world. I was actually quite humored because there was somebody with a microphone that had the kahunas while John Kerry landed and was going to this global meeting talking about how we the peasants must conform to what the globalists want, he said, well, you continue to fly everywhere in your private jet. You are the problem. And he had nowhere to go with that. He was just <laughs> asinine. Well, Mr. Kerry, if you're listening, I want you to know that my carbon footprint is the Shoe Leather Express, and my carbon footprint is smaller than Melena Crump in Spike High Heels shoes. There you go. I have I no idea where to go with that. <laughs> oh, I didn't expect you to. Uh, just, <laughs> just write it off as, well, the idiot said it again. <laughs> and and so, Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it why and furthermore, why did John Kerry change his name? His name's not John Kerry, his name's John Kahn. <laughs> his paternal right. grandfather was Frederick A. Kerry, born Fritz Kahn, 
in a town of what is today called the Czech Republic. Why do these people pretend to be Uh-oh. something they're not and then run around the world telling everybody else how they have to live? And how does this guy acquire this ability to, to tell everybody what they're going to do? We allow the government it. That's let him do it. He spends, he, yeah. You know, never forget this. Never get in a fight. But if you have to get in a fight, you want to fight like you're on the ramp going up to Noah's Ark and you're the third monkey and it's starting to rain. That's how you want to fight. And that's what we have to do. (laughs) Is that a male monkey or a female monkey? I'm curious. I'm not going to get into that. All I know (laughs) is 100% of all the children born on this earth we're, and there's eight billion of us now. We're all born a birth of a woman except uh, Jesus Christ. The rest of us all were from a woman, and not one male ever produced an offspring that way. Never birthed a baby. So <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to go there. That ain't going to work. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, are you are you it's saying that work. Mary didn't have a natural <laughs> childbirth? What what are you saying? <laughs> she had a natural childbirth, but it was immaculate conception if you follow the Christian religion. And all three of the religions, Jude- Judea, uh, Muslims, and Christians, all started in the same place. So, you know, there, there had to be some inspiration there. And yet, as they splintered across the world, we've reinvented all of this religion to fit our own program, whether we were the king of England that wanted to divorce his wife and the and the papals and papals in, in, in uh, Rome didn't want it. The Vatican said no. Uh, so we changed the religion. I mean, wow, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I, <laughs> you know, if you we just look pretty silly, that's if you just stop and think about it a moment. Jewish, what you just said, I'm just kind of ruminating on that. The Jewish religion, Muslims, and Christianity all birthed themselves out of Bethlehem or Jerusalem. How's that? I, you got me. The Mayans had their flavor. The Incas had their flavor. Uh, the Romans had, you know, I mean, it, it, the Romans used to butcher the Christians, throw them to the lions. Uh, anybody that was going to affect their ability to have power and control, they persecuted them. They yeah. hung them. There was times when the crosses going into Rome were miles long on both sides of the road. And so 2,000 years later, Hank Bogler, what has changed? Very little. We have electric to keep us warm while we contemplate how we're going to do these things today. That's really the only thing that's changed. And guess what? They want to eliminate that today. For Hank Bogler and Trent Luce, we've successfully journeyed down the path connecting food producers to food consumers. We both remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route. I look forward to a full follow-up, but I just want to say thank you to everyone that made the 2024 National Western everything that I'd hoped it would be. I'm not going to say it was more than I hoped it would be, but it was certainly everything I had hoped it would be. So thank you to one and all. Now, already starting to talk about National Western 2025, but I am going to share with you the videos that I made with the sights and sounds from the National Western. Keep track of those on my Substack. I would encourage you to go to my Substack 
Uh, you can sign up and you will receive subscribe. You can do a voluntary subscription fee or you can just simply go there and uh, you'll get stuff free. TrentLoose.substack.com. Check it out today.